Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. It's Wednesday evening, November 15th, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Purdue basketball improved to 3-0 with a win over Xavier in the Gavit games on Monday night, and then it landed yet another commitment from a longtime priority recruit on Wednesday. We'll talk about both of those while looking ahead to the Maui Invitational and answering your questions, plus just two weeks remain in the 2023 Purdue football season. Can the Boilermakers make it two wins in a row when they head to Northwestern on Saturday? We'll preview that game on the way out today. If you don't already, though, be sure to follow the show on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Big week coming up. We've got football on Saturday against Northwestern, three basketball games out in Maui, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and then the old Oak and Bucket game to wrap up the season. You'll want to follow along. Come join the conversation for all of that. And if you don't, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tentative plan will be obviously to record Sunday, talk about Purdue Northwestern, and then we'll see how Maui goes, but either record Wednesday night or Thursday morning to talk about Maui and talk about the bucket game a little bit. We'll see how everything goes, but we'll have something to you then. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Wanted to start off, though, talking about Purdue Xavier. Uh, 48 hours removed right now. Purdue 83, Xavier 71. You know, my biggest takeaway from this game is that you know you're in a pretty good spot as a team, pretty good spot as a program when you win a game by 12 against a high major opponent with a good coach and you come away just feeling like it was okay because that's kind of the feeling that came out of this. You know, it wasn't it wasn't an overwhelming win. It wasn't one that generated a whole lot of buzz around the college basketball world. Not that there's ever a ton of buzz in November anyways, but it wasn't leading the Eye on College Basketball podcast or, or any of that. But this was a good win for Purdue. There was no point in this game where it really felt like Xavier could win. You know, Purdue got out to a solid lead early. Xavier hung around for most of the first half. Uh, Miles Colvin hit a couple of big threes towards the end of the first half. I think Purdue was up seven at the break. And then the whole second half, it felt like Purdue was up, I don't know, between like six and 14 points the whole time. Xavier never got it, never got it too close for comfort. And every time it, it pushed Purdue, Purdue responded right back with Braden Smith, with Zach Eady, with some timely three-pointers. It it was just really an anticlimactic game, and I think that's probably a good thing for Purdue. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't one of those games where you know it was super memorable. At the end of the year, you're not going to remember a ton about the Xavier game, but it's the most recent thing, so we're going to talk about it. Zach Eady goes for 28 points, 11 rebounds. It was the first, you know, real big stat line that he's put up this season. Of course, we're just three games in. First two games are bye games, but he was really good. 28 points, 11 rebounds. And really, you know, it took him a little bit to settle into this game. I think he missed his first four shots. 
he missed a few shots that he probably normally makes and still walks away with 28 points, 11 rebounds. The guy is really good. I, I, I urge you to enjoy him. I, I talked about this a lot last year, not knowing whether he would come back for a senior season or not, but enjoy it. You know, this is only the third national player of the year Purdue's ever had. And there's no telling when a fourth would come through. If, when, you never know. Enjoy what you're seeing from Zach Eady because it's pretty special. Speaking of special, I know this is basically a Braden Smith podcast half the time. Another really good game for him. Um, what do you have? Like 12 points, six boards, and seven assists, something like that. He is really, really good. Yeah, 12, 6, and 7. He's really good. He is the most true point guard Purdue has had in some time, and he is so good with the ball in his hands. What Purdue is doing in ball screen stuff with him is something that Purdue's not really done with a lot of its guards before because he is so good at knowing when to shoot, when to pass, when to pull up from three, when to attack mid-range, when to go all the way to the hoop. He really is a true three-level scorer, and he's a pretty good one. But not only that, the things he does in the pick-and-roll game with Zach Eady are lethal. It's really hard to stop. It's really advanced stuff. There are times you watch it, and you know you almost wonder how Zach Eady catches these balls because they come in at a pretty decent velocity from not not too far and you know big guys aren't known to have the best hands they're not uh, they're not wide receivers out there but what Braden Smith is doing he's off to a fantastic start and I think when you look ahead at, at the Maui Invitational man you know it's a pretty big opportunity for him to really put his name, into the national discussion a little bit more than it is right now. Uh, it's That's going to be the type of year this is for Braden Smith. Whether it happens in Maui or not, we'll see. But all signs point to this being a really big year for him. Purdue's depth looked good. Uh, it helps when you make threes. You know, this is kind of the deal with Purdue is, you know, when Purdue's making threes, it's a really hard team to beat. Because you put up 83 points, the game was played quicker, the tempo was higher than what Purdue will see, but you don't lose many games when you score 83 points, and Purdue shot well from outside. Purdue finishes the game 7 for 15 from 3. That's a pretty low percentage of Purdue's shots to be taken from 3-point range. You know That's just over a quarter of Purdue's shots coming from 3, that number feels like it's normally closer to half, at least closer to you know a third to forty percent. Um, but Purdue shot well, and they were you know pretty selective on shots. Of course, it helps. Miles Colvin goes three for three. First and Morton both make their only attempt. Uh, you know Fletcher Lawyer, Lance Jones combined to go two for seven, but you live with that. They're good shooters. Uh, Purdue shot well from outside, and that. That makes Purdue a better team. That uh, makes Purdue a much, that's too obvious to say, but it makes Purdue a much tougher group to stop on offense. And, you know, that, that's what helps. I think you saw a little bit of a learning curve for Lance Jones, 
Matt Painter certainly talked about it in the post game. It was that transition jumper he took in the first half from like 30 feet out when Purdue, it was too early in the game to say Purdue had Xavier on the ropes, but there are those times when a shot goes down in Mackey Arena on a Purdue run that forces the opposing timeout and sends the place into, you know, into mayhem. That was what the opportunity was for Purdue on that possession. Lance Jones pulls up from 30, barely grazes the rim. Look, I, I tweeted out at the time, uh, Lance Jones is a really good get for Purdue, and I don't want this to come off as overly critical because defensively he's really good. He's quick. He can handle the ball. He's a good scorer. The shot selection just needs to be reined in a bit, and that's normal. You know, This is someone who had to do a lot for Southern Illinois last year, and as an individual who watches more Missouri Valley basketball than I'd like to admit, it's not like Southern Illinois is that great. They're, they're fine, but they're not great. So, you know, I thought that that's something to take note of. But, you know, nonetheless, when Miles Colvin's hitting these threes, you know, he's very valuable. I don't think Purdue is asking him to do too much right now. I think you're really just seeing him play that role as someone who's going to shoot it. Uh, he's going to be someone who's putting the ball up when it comes into his hands, playing a bit of a limited role, but that's okay. Um, that's a good win for Purdue, though. Uh, you had some big-time threes from Caleb First and Ethan Morton. Build some confidence there. Help Purdue put it away in the second half. I think you like everything you saw on Monday night. Uh, you saw a Xavier team that didn't give in. A lot of times a young team will kind of fold in those situations in Mackey Arena. Xavier didn't. Xavier fought the whole game. Xavier hit some tough shots to kind of keep itself alive or at least afloat a little bit. It didn't let that thing get to the 20-point blowout that the point spread thought it may be and that really at times it felt like the game was heading towards. But credit to Xavier. You know, it's a well-coached team. They played well. And if you're Purdue, you're very pleased with, with how that game went. You saw a different look, a team that, you know, plays really, really fast. Uh, and I think you, you know, can see now you can improve a little bit at stopping the ball, but Purdue handled it all right. And now you're 3-0. and You're where you need to be heading to Maui. And whatever happens, happens to a degree. Purdue's won these MTEs the last two years. It would love to make it three in a row. This is a loaded field. Purdue gets Gonzaga on Monday. And then either Tennessee or Syracuse on Tuesday. And then someone between Duke, Chaminade, Marquette, and UCLA on Wednesday. So it's entirely possible here that Purdue plays like three teams inside the top 10. I don't have the AP poll in front of me, but I know five of the top 11 are there. Maybe Gonzaga's 11. I don't. I don't know off the top of my head, but you know Purdue could very realistically play three top 15 teams, and you can't put a price tag on that. That's a fantastic deal for a team early on in the season. I said this last year about the Phil Knight tournament when Purdue was facing West Virginia in the first round and would have either had Gonzaga or Portland State 
in the second round. Win that first game so that you get that big opportunity on Tuesday. It's a little different here because Purdue's in a much different spot and Gonzaga is a little better than West Virginia was. But beat Gonzaga on Monday. They're a good team. That's not you know something you just walk out, throw the ball up at midcourt and just do. Uh, that It doesn't come easy. But you want to get Tennessee instead of Syracuse in the second game. Syracuse, great program historically. Not great this year. Uh, over 100 in Ken Palm. Uh, big transition. You know, Bayheim finally retires. Autry's leading the show now. Whole new roster. Whole new situation up there in Syracuse. You want to get Tennessee. You want to face off with that defense. You want to face off with, you know, some of those scores they have. Dalton Connect, a few other guys. That's what you want. Um, and then from there... God, if you can win it and you get Kansas, all the better. You know, this is a it's a tournament where Purdue doesn't have a ton to a ton to lose really because it's it's an MT, it's November, you know. The only way you lose from this is if you stack up bad losses and there aren't a ton of bad loss opportunities here unless you lose to Syracuse or Chaminade or maybe to a lesser degree UCLA if you wind up with them, but to have five teams in the top 11, it's a great opportunity. You know, from from Monday at 5, you know, Purdue's going to play three games in just over 48 hours. You're going to play three games that quickly when you've played three games in the first two weeks. So you'll learn a lot about this team out there. It's certainly a different environment, not in Maui, in Honolulu. So... Different than what we're used to from the Maui Invitational. I don't know how crowds will be. That's a bigger venue in Honolulu. But, you know, it's elite level competition. It's it's a it's a situation where all of these games are going to have second weekend of the NCAA tournament feelings to um as long as Purdue, you know, wins and plays plays uh Tennessee, plays Kansas, Marquette, uh, you know, one of those teams. I mean it's high-end stuff. It really is, uh, and that's that's a great opportunity for Purdue. I'll talk a little more about Sunday as more thoughts come to my head, but wanted to get to basketball Q&A here. First question, got three of them. How much do you think the freshmen will actually play this year? They've, re- they've really looked good so far, but Purdue has a lot of guys fighting for minutes. Yeah, you know, I think time will tell here, right? As I said earlier, I think Purdue is really taking things slowly with Miles Colvin. He is not being asked to do a ton, but he's succeeding in what he's being asked to do. And I think that is that's important. You know, you don't want to throw everything on his plate at once and put him in a bad position. You know, you don't want him in the backcourt handling press break. You don't want him initiating the offense and feeding the post a ton because that's not what he's used to doing. He'll do it some, but you don't want that being his main role. I think Camden Heidi looks comfortable out there, and that's that's a huge positive for someone who didn't really play for two years due to injury and redshirt. So uh, how much do they play? 
I think you're going to see them go out to Maui in the same role where they're playing 10 to 15 minutes off the bench. Who knows what happens after that? You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity for them against high-level competition. The one thing I'll say, you know, with Miles Colvin, he's being asked to just kind of be a scorer right now, and he's shooting really well. Uh, he went three for three the other night. He's... Let's see, what's he shooting on the year? He's shooting 70% from three on the year. I have a bad feeling that's not going to continue. So how do you bring value when you're not scoring? That's the key. So far, I thought he's done a nice job on defense, uh, adjusting a little bit. He had a couple nice you know, individual defensive moments against Xavier. Keep building on that. Same deal with Heidi. You know, He looks comfortable out there. Uh, he shot well, had the nice alley-oop dunk in transition. The minutes aren't exactly abundant. That's kind of Purdue's biggest problem is that you have a lot of players and not a lot of minutes to give them, but that's a great problem to have. And it, it should keep Purdue players pretty motivated to fight for those spots all year. Where do you believe Matt Painter will land on the starting five by Big Ten season, specifically at the four between Trey Kaufman-Wren, Caleb First, and Mason Gillis? I think it's too early to tell. Uh, I think Purdue clearly went into this season wanting to see if Trey Kaufman-Wren and Zach Eady could play together. I get it. Uh, they are both guys who can score for you. Obviously, with Zach Eady, he won National Player of the Year, but... They're scorers, and you want to have scoring on the court as much as possible. Now, so far from these three guys, each has had their stronger and weaker games. I thought Monday against Xavier was the best Caleb First has looked all year. I thought that Moorhead State game, the Trey Kaufman-Wren-Zach Eady pairing looked pretty good. And in that Arkansas exhibition, you saw Purdue really lean on uh, Mason Gillis at that spot. There's some real validity to the question we had from an email last week, kind of talking about how if you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have that guy. And if you have three power forwards, maybe you don't really have that guy. There's some validity there. The thought is starting to go around some. And when thoughts start going around Purdue Twitter, it kind of turns into groupthink. So I try to avoid that. But the thought that Trey Kaufman ran. You know, maybe coming off the bench to provide some offense. I think there's some there's some credence to that. I, I think that could be something worth exploring. I don't think you need to mess around with starting lineups a ton right now because you'll see Trey Kaufman Ren get matched up with some of the players coming off the bench. You know, that just happens organically when you sub as much as Purdue's subbing right now. Um I think that's probably the biggest question, though, is how much you need that. Because unless you unless you really need it, Purdue's not going to mess around with the lineup. But if it does look like Purdue needs that scoring punch with the second unit, then I think you do that. And I think you can go either way with Mason Gillis or Caleb first. You know, we know what, to a certain degree, we know what they both are as players. Um, they're very different. And, you know, it could really be a game-by-game -game thing. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a game-by-game -game thing to see what matchups work best for Purdue, who's got the hot hand.
And then finally, last question, with a loaded tournament field in Maui, what would you consider a successful trip for the Boilermakers? For my good friend Brian, he loves these types of questions. Look, I don't really know. Uh, I, I guess it depends how important winning this thing is to you because it's a tournament Purdue can win. Purdue and Kansas are one and two in the country right now. So they're clearly the two favorites to do it. Marquette is very good. Gonzaga is going to be good. Tennessee is very good. If you get to the final and play Kansas, I think that's your ideal spot. And then who knows what happens? You never know. If you, you know, get you lose to Gonzaga in the first game, then you know, win out is your goal. You got to win those next two um, against lower level competition, but you want to win those next two. If you get to I think a two and one record here is probably the kind of the floor, I guess, with going three and zero being the ceiling. You don't want to go one and two. I guess that's kind of where you look at this as a real bummer. But if you go two and one and lose to a good team, you fly home with nothing to be too upset about. Uh, but I think you just got to win that first game. You want to play as many high level games as you can. Winning that first game puts you in position to do so. Before we get into football, I did want to touch on the news of the day in Purdue sports. That being Jakari Harris uh, committed to Purdue this afternoon. He is the one that Purdue fans have probably been waiting for the most in this recruiting class. He's a top 100 guard from the Atlanta area. Picked Purdue over Georgia Tech on the final day of the signing period. Uh, have not seen the official signed tweet from Purdue Basketball yet. Um, who knows if it's done? Who knows if it's coming? Don't know. But yes, he is the son of Glenn Robinson. That is the story that really will promulgate itself over and over and over again for the next four years for him. I just urge all of you to be careful with this. Uh, do not put undue expectations on a kid because of who his father is. That is not fair to him. That is not really fair to Glenn Robinson. That's not fair to, to anyone. Um, Jakari Harris is a really good player, though. By all accounts, he's a tough guy. He's pretty hard-nosed. He can play solid defense. He can shoot it. He can probably play a little bit of that combo guard for you. This is a really good get. And this wraps up a class for Purdue that's a really high-level class. He joins C.J. Cox, Jack Benter, Cannon Catchings, Raleigh Burgess, Daniel Jacobson. You do not see many six-man signing classes uh, in this, this era of college basketball. I talked about it some last week uh, on signing day, but it remains true. You know, Purdue is very committed to building this thing from a more traditional high school recruiting manner than it is the transfer portal. This is a great sign of that. Uh, I, I think there's a lot, of, a lot to be excited about if you're a Purdue fan looking ahead to the future of this because you know Purdue has not always recruited this way. And right now, Purdue's recruiting at a pretty high level. Uh, some really good talent coming to West Lafayette. And that's going to be a lot of fun to watch for Purdue folks over the coming years. But again, don't have too much to say there. Let's get into football. Heading to Northwestern on Saturday, 
for a noon kickoff on Big Ten Network. Uh, temperature going to be about 50 degrees with 20 mile an hour winds. So weather could play a factor in the morning with that wind. Uh, Purdue's kind of a slight favorite here, point two points. Totals hovering around 51, 52. About Northwestern, though, because this is probably the surprise team of the year in the Big Ten. Kind of coming out of nowhere to be 5-5. Five and five. Weird year. You know, Pat Fitzgerald gets fired over the summer due to allegations of hazing inside the program. He's replaced with an interim in David Braun, who just a few hours ago was named the full-time head coach of the Wildcats. They removed the interim tag. He is the full-time head coach. Probably, if you ask me, should be the Big Ten Coach of the Year. If I had a vote, that's who I would vote for. I don't have a vote, so it doesn't matter. But he deserves a heck of a lot of credit for this because you know, I watched them play on that Sunday afternoon opener against Rutgers in week one, and they looked terrible. They looked utterly awful. I, I did not know if they were going to win a game this year. And I knew they played Howard. I knew they played UTEP. I wasn't sure Northwestern would win a game. In fact, if you go back to September, UTEP Northwestern was like a pick em in Evanston. Northwestern blew them out, but there was not a lot of respect for Northwestern. It's been a really nice year for them. That being said, you know, the stats aren't exactly overwhelming on either side of the ball. This is not a great offense, nor is it a great defense. The talent is going to be limited at Northwestern. It always has been, and now you factor in the transfer portal and NIL, it makes it even tougher. It is not an easy job. It is not an easy place to bring high-end talent in. Um, they're going to roll with Ben Bryant, Cincinnati transfer at quarterback. When he's been healthy this year, he's been solid, and he's healthy. He led them to a win at Wisconsin last week, looking good in the process. Got a nice little trio of wide receivers to throw to. Uh, Bryce Wirtz, an in-state guy uh, from Indiana, playing against Purdue. And then A.J. Henning, a Michigan transfer who Purdue is interested in out of the portal. He's around as well. Um, so it's a it's a good, decent pass game Northwestern has. They need it because the run game is dead last in the Big Ten. Offensive line is always going to be limited there. Um, only 20.5 points per game. So it's not like Northwestern lights up the scoreboard or anything. But with Ben Bryant there, they feel like they're in their best position to put together a strong offensive performance something it didn't always do because Bryant has been banged up this year. On the defensive side of the ball, Northwestern's fine. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fine defense. It's not elite on either you know pass defense or run defense, but it's solid. Uh, it's, it's a Northwestern defense. It's led by the linebackers. They got another one named Gallagher, of course, Bryce Gallagher leading the way in the middle. He and Xander Muller, pretty solid one-two punch in the middle of that Northwestern defense. Uh, Rod Hurd, good corner. He will line up with, I would think, Deion Burks. We'll see. Him or Dixon Veal on the outside would be my guess. Uh, but he's pretty good. Teams don't throw at him much. It's hard to evaluate defensive stats with the Big Ten West, to be honest with you. 
because this division is so bad on offense. Uh, like two weeks ago, you know, Iowa puts up like 160 yards of offense against Northwestern. So how what does that say about Northwestern's defense compared to Iowa's offense? I don't know, but again, this is a fine defense. It's not the 85 Bears. So that's what Purdue's going up against. It's a solid team, but it's nothing crazy. Uh, some injuries for Purdue. Dylan Downing got carted off late against Minnesota. His status remains up in the air. And then Daniel Johnson was listed as the starter at left tackle on this week's depth chart. I would expect him to be questionable on game day. Uh, he was questionable last week, ended up not playing. So Purdue rolled with Ben Farrell at left tackle, Josh Kaltenberger at right tackle. What will Purdue do this week? We shall see because Purdue did turn in a solid performance on the offensive line last week, uh, really against all odds. Three questions about this game. Number one is the question. Was last week's offensive explosion the exception or was it the new rule? Time will tell here because Purdue scored 49 points after going five weeks without scoring more than 14. Remarkable. Uh, college football for you. You never know what's going to happen. But what does Purdue do as a follow-up? Does Purdue continue to have great success running the ball after running for 350 yards? Do we see Hudson Card look as co confident and comfortable as he did last week? How does that look? What do we see from Purdue's offense? Number two, can the offensive line patch together another solid performance? Again, the offensive line last week was really up against it. You know, starting Ben Farrell at left tackle was probably not Purdue's first choice this year. I know starting Josh Kaltenberger at right tackle was probably not really even on Purdue's radar coming into this season. But with Muhammad Musa and Marcus Bowe done, you got to do desperate things sometimes. And that's where Purdue is. The line put together a strong performance. Can it do it again? That's the big question. Uh, I don't know what to expect, but it's not an overwhelming Northwestern defensive line. Uh, 91, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he can get after the quarterback. Purdue will need to keep an eye on him, but we'll see. Uh, Going to be interesting to watch. And then number three, will the airstrike defense create some strikes? Because Purdue's done some nice things defensively in recent weeks. Uh, like you look at that Nebraska game, Purdue's defense did strike, created four turnovers. But last week, no turnovers for Purdue. Uh, don't I don't think it forced any at Michigan either. Um, you'd like to see that. You'd like to see Purdue force some turnovers. This is a game where turnovers could decide it. Uh, You'd like to get those pass rushers back there to go make some plays, create a strip sack, force an early decision. Do something like that because if your defense can turn in a performance where it's getting the offense more snaps, more time with the ball, the more likely you are to break through and do some scoring here. You know, a quick couple quick thoughts here before we give the prediction and get out of here. There's talk about bowl eligibility right now. Because it is possible for Purdue to make it at 5-7 and seven with the APR deal. 
I haven't looked a great deal into it. I'll look a little bit more into it if Purdue gets to five and seven during the week before conference championships to see if it's realistic. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's something that should be celebrated. Not all bowl seasons are made the same, right? Like I think six and six seasons in Purdue history. 2011-2012, Purdue goes 6 and 6, everyone's upset and Purdue fires the coach because of it. Which was the right way to feel at the time and the right move to make. That was all correct how fans felt there. There was no juice, there it wasn't trending the right way, but Purdue went 6 and 6 goes to a bowl. 2017, Purdue goes 6 and 6 goes to a bowl and it was incredible. It came out of nowhere. It was awesome. So, you know, not all bowl trips are made the same. I don't think Purdue should throw a parade down State Street if it makes the bowl makes a bowl game at five and seven. Uh, it has to get there first, which you know, basic betting odds, basic math would tell you Purdue is more likely than not to be four and four and eight than five and seven, but. I think it'd be a great experience for the team. You get more bowl practices. You get a chance to go play another game. I think that's all positive stuff. This is a game you got to get up for. It's going to be a noon kick. It's going to be chilly and windy. There's going to be no one in the stands. You got to get up and ready to go. Uh, Purdue has to come out from the opening kick ready to play because Northwestern is a team you don't really want to play from behind against. They're going to be fired up. David Braun got the... Got the full-time gig. Uh, they'd had a little social media campaign from the players kind of asking for that. They got it, so they should be fired up. Um, but I like what I saw from Purdue last week. It is you know, hopefully a sign of where things are coming on the offense. And with the defense, you know, this is not a great Northwestern offense you've got to face. I'll go Purdue 27, Northwestern 20. This is a game Purdue should win. Keyword, should win. It's not a game it has to. It's not a must win. But it's a game Purdue should win. If you want to feel good about this season and close strong, you win this. Um, and then, you know, you go home on a two-game win streak to take on IU, see where things go. Otherwise, you know, you're trying to play for a 4-8 and eight season, and that's not always the most fun thing in the world. So... Uh, Going to be an interesting one to watch. Noon kick on Saturday, Big Ten Network. I will be back on Sunday to break down that game, give you a couple of final thoughts before Maui gets going as well. Uh, and feel free to ask questions. Football, basketball, I'm here for all of it. You can send those to me on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond, or you can email them to me, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. I appreciate you guys listening. Be sure to follow. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until Sunday, enjoy the game and take care.